You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Gosh, it's so exciting to be here. And I really feel like God's heart is in this room. It's just so present. And yes, in this morning when we were praying and God told me to take off my shoes because I was on holy ground, well, that was a new one for me. <laughs> so, but we're taught to be obedient. Um, and so my, my prayer this morning is... This is that you'll hear God's heart in this message. Um, it was one that took a little bit of work. In fact, I was still tweaking at Hopper Six this morning. I got up, <laughs> I was like, you know, tweaking it a bit. So um, if I, 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 you won't be able to see if you're listening online. I hope I don't get to read as much, <laughs> but we'll, we're going to give it a go. So, who loves to travel? <laughs> I love to travel. I love experiencing new places, new cultures. I love to stop and smell the roses, to eat the foods, to meet new people. I love watching the glory of a sunset in a new place, the waves as they sweep over a shore and they crash. And I especially love the buzzing of bees in my garden as they collect pollen. And um, whilst I've moved from place to place and here and there, always ready for a new adventure, This week, as thinking of what God wanted to bring for this morning, I kept being reminded of the phrase, the land of milk and honey. So I was like, okay, God, started doing some research into honey in the Bible. And um, this morning, we're going to start from the beginning and we're going to work our way through to the promised land. But (laughs) it's a long way. But. Maybe this promised land is not the one that you're thinking of, of milk and honey. Maybe it's not even the one that's actually in the Old Testament, but an eternal promised land that we can only find in the new. So I thought I'd give you some uh, honey facts that I found out this week while doing some research. So honey, particularly in medieval times by Christians, was actually considered a symbol of abundance. So when we think of the land of milk and honey, We know that it is God's abundance that is in that place. Honey is first mentioned in the book of Genesis, and it was given as a gift. It was also offered as part of first fruits in 2 Chronicles. And um, David in Psalm 119 describes God's words as being sweeter than honey. So we're going to meet some fathers of the faith through Abraham and Moses, and we're also going to touch on the life of Jesus, of course. So if you want to open your Bibles, feel free. We're going to look at a few scriptures in Genesis 2, and um, we're going to read verses 8 and 9 and 15. And so in Genesis 2, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And in verse 15 we read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So we're told that Genesis, in Genesis, that God planted a garden. And for me, this is like the first land of mankind. It was a perfect place of beauty and peace and joy. And out of the ground, God sprung up this life of plants that were pleasant to the sight, good to eat. 
And then it says that the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Because even though it was a perfect place, it still needed to be maintained. It still needed to be worked in order for it to stay a garden. And thinking about that kind of work, I realized that God had created mankind, obviously, to look after his creation, but to build relationship with his creation. And in that work in the garden, Adam was forming relationship that brought joy because work wasn't meant to be a toil. It was meant to be a joy. And we see in that garden the relationship that God has with Adam and Eve. And we know that God walked in the garden. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve could hear God walking when they were hiding. Interesting, in Genesis 2, you notice that um, the two names of God are used here, Lord God. And in Hebrew, it's written Yahweh Elohim. Elohim being the name, the general name of God, and Yahweh being his personal name. So Elohim is like the creator God, and Yahweh, the personal relational God that he has. But sin then enters this garden, the relationship is broken, and Adam and Eve are told and driven out, and they go. But now they have to toil the ground, and work actually becomes hard. And generations follow, and the wickedness is so bad in the people that God actually regrets making mankind. And it says that he is grieved in his heart until he sees Noah. And we read the story of Noah, and we see that through this story of redemptive love, God loves his creation, and so he creates an everlasting covenant with his people. And a few more hundred, late, hundred, a few more hundred years later, we meet Abram. And the next four books of the Old Testament, which we're not going to go through today, <laughs> we learn the heart of the Jewish faith, and we get to follow this journey of seeking the promised land, this land of milk and honey. But for now, we're going to hang around and learn a little bit more about Abram. So another interesting fact in my journey through discovering honey is that over the years, biblical scholars actually doubted that honey was actually from honeybees, that the honey in the Bible was actually something that was made like a jam-like system out of dates. But in 2017, archaeologists discovered um, beehives that were made out of clay and straw that were around 3,000 years old in northern Israel, in the city that was actually the home to the prophet Elisha. So I find that honey is actually honey. So back to our journey in this promised land, we're going to meet Abram and we're going to have a read of Genesis 12. And it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in verse four, it says, so Abram went. Abram goes and he starts this journey to find this promised land and many years pass and he's still not in the land that God has promised. And so God makes a covenant with Abram and a covenant is something that is legally binding. And he says that to Abram's offspring, God will give this land. And at that time, Abram didn't have offspring. 
And he was 99 years old when God made another further covenant with him where he says that he will multiply Abram greatly and that he will be the father of many nations and that his name is no longer going to be Abram, but Abraham. God says that this covenant is between God and Abram and that it's everlasting and that God will be God to Abraham and his offspring and their offspring, their generations thereafter. And it really struck me that that covenant is actually still for us today, that actually this promised land is actually still for us. And for those who may not know the story further down the line, we're going to get there. So you'll, you'll see why Abraham is so important to us. But of course, they go through some wilderness years. But God has told Abraham that his people will be sojourners in a foreign land and that they will come some great affliction. And so years and years, hundreds of years pass, and the time comes where Abraham has had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and the, the Israel um, is born through Isaac, and the nation has been fruitful and has multiplied, and it is now time for God to bring them to this promised land. And so through this, God raises an incredible leader, Moses, and Moses is now going to bring God's people And so they leave this land of affliction, which I think is a bit like a Hollywood blockbuster. If you read the story of the Exodus, um, it's action-packed. So off they go, and they actually get to the promised land. And Moses sends in his spies, and they come back with incredible fruit. But the people have forgotten their God, and they've forgotten their faith. And so God sends them back into the wilderness And there they spend another further 40 years walking around. And sometimes I think we get to see the promised land, but we forget the promises of God and we forget our relationship with God. And so we can walk in the season of wilderness, not sure which direction we're going. Sometimes I can feel like our whole lives are a wilderness, but God is so good and his love for us is so great that even in the wilderness God is preparing us and preparing our hearts and so when we reflect back we can sometimes we can see all that God is doing as he brings us ready and I think of the journey that Nigel and Tammy have been on in their years and that in their wilderness God is preparing them and he's bringing them and that everything that they're doing now is part of God's plan. During this time of Exodus, God's people, being people, continue to sin. And so God gives us his laws, which I won't read. <laughs> but you can, you can read in Exodus 20, uh, the Ten Commandments. God puts these boundaries into place, but people still find them really challenging. And still people today find them really challenging. But these laws have had an effect on our society. As Christians, they form the morals and the values of what we are. They have formed the values and morals of many other cultures. And even government laws are still formed on these values and morals that we have way from times um, long ago. Now, you could read the next few books after Exodus And you can read all the many, many laws that were brought in and the rules. 
And then you'll get to the book of Joshua, which I know which is where you currently have your series. So I apologize if this is a bit of a spoiler alert. But the people of Israel, God's chosen people, do get to enter the land that's flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Hooray. But the Old Testament doesn't end there. God's people still continue to sin. His love and mercy for his creation, he brings through great men and women to lead his people according to his plan. And we read stories on women like Ruth and Deborah, which, by the way, Deborah is actually translated into the word bee. <laughs> so we've got a bit more honey in the Bible there. We meet David. We fall in love with the Psalms. We have the wisdom of Solomon. And God raises incredible prophets like Daniel and Isaiah and Micah and Hosea. But they're all pointing to something new. They're pointing to a saviour and a messenger that for once and all can rescue God's people. A hero for the people of Israel, or so they think. The Old Testament, interestingly, ends with the book of Malachi. And Malachi is not just the last book of the Old Testament, but Malachi is also the last prophet. And in chapter 3, he writes, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to this temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then there is silence. 400 years pass. And a hero is born. And we move into the New Testament with the book of Matthew. And it opens with the genealogy of Jesus. And I've always thought this was the most boring part. I mean, this is not just the story of the greatest man who ever walked the earth, but this is the story of the Son of God. And it takes you through Abraham to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And it shows this line of the one who ultimately is going to be the king of all kings. The one whom the prophets spoke of, the one who they said would be the one to save the people of Israel, the ones who coming to save the generations of Abraham and his generations after him. God's covenant with Abraham was for him to be the father of many, many nations. And the promised land was to be for all his offspring. So actually, when we do read the, gene the genealogy of Jesus, actually, it is really important to see and should be no surprise to us. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever traced your family lines. Um, I've never traced my family line. I do know a little bit of my family history. My mum-in-law is hot on her family history. She knows where her family have come from. And my husband's always getting her to write it down so that he can remember. My family, I don't know, some of you, like, you may have been in Norfolk all your lives. But as you can hear, as Tammy and Nigel pointed out, my accent is not from Norfolk. Um, and actually, my family history comes from so many different cultures. And so whilst I was born in South Africa, my granny on my mom's side of the family was born in Birmingham and came to South Africa after the Second World War. On my dad's side of the family, my grandfather was actually born in India when his father worked for the East Indies Company. And he is actually Dutch until he moved to Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, and then moved to South Africa himself. So it's kind of fascinating. And now, of course, I live 
in Norfolk with my family, and my husband said, and your amazing husband, of course. So, hope you're with me still. So, Matthew tells us in chapter 3 that just as the prophets foretold, we're going to meet John the Baptist. So, I'm just going to pop over in my Bible. And so, just as the prophets foretold, we get to meet John, the messenger who God has raised to make this way for Jesus. And in verse 4, John says that he wore a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey. And there's the honey again coming through. But the first words that we actually read that John the Baptist say in the book of Matthew in verse 2 is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Jesus is then baptized by John and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus then has a wilderness moment. As he's led in the spirit and after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, is tempted by the devil. Another spoiler alert, the devil has no success. The devil leaves him and Jesus goes to live in Galilee where he begins to preach. And the first words quoted in the book of Matthew is that of Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the kingdom that Jesus speaks throughout in all the gospels, which is for me, and you, the eternal promised land. And one thing I wanted to explain was that Matthew was written um, to an audience of Jewish people of Jewish faith. And so in other parts of the New Testament, we will read about the kingdom of God and sometimes just the kingdom because God's name was sacred. So Matthew was really mindful of his Jewish audience, but the concept throughout the New Testament of the kingdom is the same. So as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, Many religious leaders who um, upheld the law or tried to and all those rules, they kind of really struggled to believe and refused to accept who Jesus was. They couldn't see that this really compassionate and humbled man was the one that was sent to rescue them. They couldn't see that he was the son of God. But people like us, every ordinary, everyday people loved him because Jesus showed love and compassion for everyone, particularly sinners, outcasts, diseased women, the poor, the lost, the broken, and even the dead. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, performing miracles, healing, giving forgiveness as he went. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke the good news through his message and he starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends on the Sermon on the Mount with, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because this kingdom is something greater than the promised land. This kingdom is something of an eternal promise. 
In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish it, but to fulfill them. That's just like, wow. I think there's one book in the Bible that I have never actually managed to complete, and that would be the book of Leviticus. It's one of the four that I mentioned earlier on and has all the laws of the sacrificial offerings, what to do, when to do them, why to do them. And I think that's pretty impossible for a lot of people. And I'm really grateful that we don't have those today because Jesus came to fulfill the law. I love that Jesus performed miracles and spoke in stories in the form of parables. And parables were really relatable to those who could hear them. Not everyone understood them. But the book of Matthew is filled with stories of the kingdom. In actual fact, the kingdom of God is mentioned over 70 times in the New Testament, with 30 of those just in the book of Matthew alone. So clearly, in Matthew, Jesus' message of the kingdom is one of really great importance. He taught those who followed him how to pray, to bring the kingdom, God's kingdom to come. He taught the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God, with all our hearts and our souls and our minds, and to love our neighbours. He said in Matthew 6, 33, and this is actually my life verse now, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And all those things are the things that our God knows, our Father knows that we need. I love the story of the parable of the, the hidden treasure. And the man goes and he finds this treasure in the field and he covers it up and he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. Because the value of the kingdom is so great that it requires everything that we have. And it is worth everything. It is worth the sacrifice of ourselves. And it's a challenge, but one that I feel brings us so much joy. Because... The treasure of the kingdom that is in Christ is worth everything. And so there are many parable after parable after parable on the kingdom of God. And I also feel that every time Jesus performed a miracle, he brought kingdom to earth in those moments. And I think that as believers, we get to experience these moments of the kingdom. So if I think when you think back about when you became a Christian, that feeling of joy that is a kingdom moment. And so Jesus' ministry was a mere three years. And he died on the cross, taking all our sins as the ultimate sacrificial offering. It was one that wiped the slate clean forever, for every generation to come. Jesus died on the cross. God rose him from the dead, as was foretold. And he was seen by hundreds of people afterwards, first by the woman who told, he told them to go and tell, by the 12 disciples, all the followers. And even, they even got to actually eat with him too. But we are not Jewish. We're not di direct bloodline descendants of Abraham. And Jesus took all of this on the cross. So how is it that we get to find and keep the kingdom? Because the great news is, it is actually for us. Jesus spent time with the disciples, and more and more people came to believe. And there was one incredible, radical conversion of a man named Paul, who came to believe too. 
And through Paul, we see that Jesus revealed the kingdom was not just for the Jew, but for the Gentiles. And in Romans 8.15, pop over there. Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This adoption makes us sons and daughters into the line of Jesus, which is the line of Abraham, meaning that the everlasting covenant of the promised land that God gave to Abraham as the promise of the eternal kingdom of God and is ours too for the taking. So if there are things that I would love for you, whoever's listening whoever's here, to take away from today's message is that first, believe that Jesus died for you. He took all your sins onto the cross. And second is that the kingdom of God is for everyone. If your heart is beating and you've never made that step to believe, then why don't you say this little prayer and we can all say it together. Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I invite you into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. So if you've prayed that prayer, And if you're listening to this online, we'd love for you to get in touch with Authentic Church. Let them know you've made that decision and they'll be able to help you as you follow your next steps. So as I finish, I have two scriptures I would love to leave you with. Romans 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. But I couldn't finish without a last word about some honey. So I'll leave you with Proverbs 16:24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. God bless you all today.